The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Y'all hear me? Okay, good. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Tobias. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Christ the King. And Penny is uh, out for a while, but we, um, we're gonna continue with our study of the fruit of the Spirit. Let me know if you just want me to use the, okay. Um, <clears throat> so I invite you now to go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word um, to Galatians chapter five. Um, if you don't have, have a copy of God's Word, there is one in the chair, underneath the chair in front of you. And you're welcome to use that one. <clears throat> uh, we're going to be focusing on the Lord's kindness, the fruit of kindness today. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and read this section in its entirety. And um, let's remember, this is the Lord's inspired and infallible word uh, that he has given to us to grow us in his grace. So let's give careful, careful attention to it. Beginning in verse 16, chapter 5 of Galatians. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's ask his blessing on this. Almighty God, we come before you this morning. We humble yourselves as your people, uh, not claiming anything on our own behalf as a reason to approach your throne of grace. Instead, we claim the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and through it, we approach you boldly. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it. We thank you for the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul in writing it. 
And we ask now that by your spirit, you will cause it to penetrate deep into our lives. We ask, Lord, that you will open our eyes and our ears this morning to see something about your kindness. We ask that you will teach us more about who you are and what you have done and what you call us to be. And Lord, may the uh, meditation of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, so uh, we are continuing our study of the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to focus especially today on kindness. And I think it's helpful for us to appreciate something of the context uh, in which Paul is writing. You see, Paul's exhortation here in this section to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be in step with the Spirit. Uh, this is closely linked uh, to his central message in his letter to the Galatians, and that is that we are justified before God by grace through faith, not by works of the law. Paul in the wake of the so-called Judaizers who had come and disturbed the peace of the Galatian churches, urging them to uh, adopt circumcision and observe the food laws, Paul, in the, midst, in the wake of that, had responded vigorously. And he had said, no, no, you don't have to do those things, Galatians. You are no longer under the law. In fact, for Paul, to adopt those practices would, in effect, symbolize a return to slavery and an abandonment of, of the freedom that the Galatians had found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why we see him in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, saying, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. And yet in the midst of this message of freedom in Christ, and that there was no need for the Galatians to return to observing circumcision and food laws. This seems to have created a certain ethical dilemma among the Galatians. You see, if Christians are no longer under the law, what was to govern their behavior, particularly with regard to one another? And the Galatians did not seem to be handling this ambiguity very well. They seemed to, be, uh, to have been giving in to their fleshly desires, the things that Paul calls the works of the flesh earlier in our passage this morning, things especially like enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, divisions. The Galatian church, as God's people, evidently was disunified. And as Paul says in chapter 5, verse 15, they were biting and devouring one another. And it's in the midst of this disunity that the Apostle Paul provides a different answer. And he says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so in a sense, the fruit of the Spirit are hallmarks of God's people living in unity with one another. And to that point, I think it's interesting that in the first five virtues that we have looked at so far, love, joy, peace, patience, and today kindness, that we see love, patience, and kindness together in such a short, short space. I think it's helpful for us because after all, it's not the first time we've seen those three linked together. You remember when Penny started this series, he started, of course, with the fruit of love. And you remember what his text was, 1 Corinthians 13. And if you know anything about the Corinthian church, you know that this was a church that was riddled with factions. It was known for its disunity. Well, what message does Paul bring to this this uh, disunified people of God. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, we read this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, patience, and kindness are, in particular, I think, things that people who are disunified need to hear. But, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, I think, are more than just mere hallmarks of the people of God living in unity. They are the very fruit of the Spirit of God. Did you notice in our passage Paul's shift from the phrase, the works of the flesh, to the fruit of the Spirit? Friends, I think that's intentional. I think he's telling us that these virtues, love, joy, peace, and so on, these are the Lord's produce coming to harvest in our lives. Friends, apart from Christ, they are unnatural to us. Apart from Christ, we would gratify the works of the flesh which lead to death. You know, G.K. Chesterton famously said, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. And friends, I think that's exactly what the fruit of the Spirit are. They are the life of Christ, blooming within the lives of his people, enabling us to swim against the stream of our own fleshly desires. And so as we pick up this fruit of kindness this morning, we ought to begin by asking ourselves, well, what is kindness? What does Paul have in mind when he urges us to bear the fruit of kindness? 
How do you conceive of it? How has the culture led you to conceive of it? Well, I think oftentimes we tend to reduce kindness to speaking kind words. It reminds me of a poem by Daniel Colesworthy. He says, A little word in kindness spoken, a motion or a tear, has often healed the heart that's broken and made a friend sincere. And you know, there's truth in that. A kind word spoken in sincerity is lovely and it's encouraging for us. But friends, is that all there is to kindness? And you know, unfortunately, I think that sometimes our kind words really aren't kind at all. I think oftentimes they mask anger or frustration that's hidden in our hearts. I think earlier this week, might have been this week, I heard that the Ellen DeGeneres show was going to come to an end soon. And I don't bring this up to, to beat up Ms. DeGeneres, but she was, and I'm assuming still is, a self-proclaimed preacher of kindness. Every one of her shows would end with her saying, be kind to one another. And she was known for giving gifts to her audience in the name of kindness. And in one of her shows, she sort of donned a professorial hat, a professor of kindness, and she uh, gave a lesson, a sort of kindness 101 to her audience. And so she gave some advice about how to deal kindly when in bad traffic. She said things like this. She said, roll your window down, stick your head out of the window and yell, hey, that must have been a really important text. Or, Roll your window down, stick your head out the window, and say, Hey, you don't need makeup. You're beautiful. Friends, surely kindness means more than shouting superficial niceties in the midst of our frustrations, isn't it? And of course, the Bible gives us a much fuller better and trustworthy picture of what true kindness is. And you know, in a nutshell, the picture that we see painted in the Bible is that kindness is putting love into action, and it's often costly. Uh, the Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright, he puts it this way, he says, being kind means being willing to do something or to take some action that helps somebody else, even if it might be inconvenient to myself. Kindness goes beyond mere duty. It means doing something you don't have to do, but choose to do. In fact, real kindness usually costs something and doesn't expect a reward. Friends, biblical kindness 
is costly, it's sacrificial, and it's active. And you know, there's a beautiful word that encapsulates this idea of kindness. It's used throughout the Old Testament, and you've seen, uh, uh, you've seen Penny and me, uh, maybe Andrew, I can't remember, uh, highlight this word in many of our sermons, and the word is hesed. Remember that word hesed? Uh, there are several translations that continue to translate that as his loving kindness. This word pops up over and over again in the Old Testament as a description of the character of the Lord. And uh, you children here, if you know the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, you might remember that refrain that uh, appears over and over again in that Bible, the Lord's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, and always and forever love. Uh, the author there is translating Hesed. And she did a beautiful job. She could have just said kindness, but she did it that way, and it's beautiful. And friends, the Israelites were well acquainted with the Lord's kindness, and they celebrated it. In fact, Psalm 136, in its entirety, is dedicated to celebrating the Lord's kindness. As we see in each line, the refrain, His loving kindness endures forever. But I think what's especially helpful for us this morning, in light of Paul's exhortation for us to bear the fruit of kindness... I think it's helpful for us to see how kindness is on display in the book of Ruth, particularly through the character of Ruth. You remember the story when Naomi, in her, in her misery, decides to return to Bethlehem. What does Ruth do? She doesn't let her go alone. And instead, we hear her say, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Friends, this was costly, sacrificial an active kindness on the part of Ruth. Take a breath. I'll take a breath. Y'all, this was kindly, sacrificial, an active kindness on her part. She could have returned the land of Moab, couldn't she? She could have followed her sister, Orpah. There we go. And she could have returned to family, to community. She could have returned to her familiar, familiar gods, but she didn't. That was costly kindness. Well, remember when Ruth was at the, at the threshing floor and she asked Boaz to marry her. You remember how Boaz responded? He praised her kindness and her hesed. He said, may the Lord, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness 
greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Friends, this too was costly. It was sacrificial and it was active kindness on the part of Ruth. She could have gone after younger men, but she didn't. She went after a man who was old enough to be her father. And yet she chose Boaz as a kinsman redeemer for the sake of Naomi, not her own sake, so that he might raise up an heir for Elimelech. And friends, this is instructive for us as we consider this passage this morning, we who are called to bear the fruit of kindness in our own lives. You see, although God is hardly mentioned in the book of Ruth, we see his kindness in the life of Ruth as she gives herself freely and sacrificially on behalf of Naomi. She embodies the Lord's hesed, his kindness. And in so doing, she gives us a glimpse of who our Lord is, that he's kind. And in fact, the Lord actually declared this to Moses. You remember when he put Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passed before him? Remember what he said in Exodus 34? He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Friends, these are well-known words. This description of the Lord became something of a character sketch of the Lord, and it was repeated over and over again in the Old Testament. But have we considered, do we appreciate how costly the Lord's kindness was and would be. God said to Moses these words in the midst of rejection. God said these famous words in Exodus 34 after the golden calf apostasy. The Lord God Almighty had redeemed a people. He had carried the Israelites out of Egypt on eagles' wings. He had presented himself before their eyes and ears on a quaking mountain in fire and smoke. And what did they do? They rejected him in favor of a dead idol made out of gold. Friends, God said these words that he was kind to Moses, knowing in his perfect knowledge that the Israelites would betray him over and over again. And this would give the pagan nations opportunity to slander the good name of the Lord and his power to save. Brothers and sisters, God made this statement about his kindness, knowing that in order for his kindness to extend to a stubborn and stiff-necked people, he would have to act decisively on their behalf. And this is what we hear the, him saying in Ezekiel 36 when he says that he would remove their hearts of stone, that he would give them hearts of flesh. When he says that he would actually implant his own spirit 
in his people. And he knew that the process would be costly. It would be costly. And you know, the Apostle Paul knew something about this. The Apostle Paul, the former persecutor of the church, the young man who stood beside while Stephen was stoned, he knew something about a heart of stone, didn't he? But friends, more importantly, the Apostle Paul, he knew something of the Lord's kindness. He'd met the crucified and risen Lord on the road to, to Damascus. He'd been washed free from the shame and the guilt of his sin. He'd been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light of the glorious sun, all by the grace of God. And he knew that the kindness of the Lord was unfathomably costly. It would cost the Lord his own son. And friends, the measure of Paul's understanding of the costly kindness of the Lord is seen in what he writes, Titus, in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. He says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Friends, are you seeing a picture of the kindness of the Lord, that it's love put in action, that it's costly, and that it's sacrificial? Friends, that's biblical kindness. And that's what Paul is so eager for the Galatians and for you and me to have manifest in our lives. In fact, he's so eager for this fruit to be born in our lives that we hear him earlier in the letter to the Galatians in chapter 4, 19, saying, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit really are. It's Christ being formed in us. Friends, if you're like me, uh, you understand how difficult this is, don't you? You understand how difficult it is to act in such a manner. We ought to ask ourselves, what keeps us from acting in kindness like this? Well, I think in part... It's because we forget that such kindness is divine fruit. We forget it's the Lord's produce growing within us. And we need to remind ourselves that our growth in kindness is dependent on the Lord's grace in our lives. And so we need to actively trust him and pray for him to produce it within us. But you know, I think, too, uh, we tend not to act in kindness 
Because we tend to measure our kindness by what we don't do. But by what we don't do. We have interaction with someone and we reflect on it and we say, well, we, we didn't use harsh words. I wasn't violent. I didn't lose my temper. Of course I acted kindly. But friends, how often do we ask ourselves, what did I leave undone in that situation? What opportunity to extend the Lord's kindness did I swiftly pass by today? How could I have given myself and my resources to someone in need? But you know, to ask these sorts of questions in the midst of our busy lives is to open ourselves up to the possibility of being interrupted. And we don't like being interrupted, do we? I know I don't. But you know, the Lord Jesus, he didn't mind it. It's been said that uh, the whole life and ministry of our Lord Jesus is really one of interruptions. And it was in these moments of interruption that the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ was on full display. Just think for a moment about the healing of the paralytic that we read about in Matthew 9. Jesus had just come to his hometown, it says. Jesus was probably weary. And maybe he wanted to see familiar faces. But he allowed himself to be interrupted. And he healed the man, and he even forgave his sins. But think about the Samaritan woman that we read about in John chapter 4. Jesus was weary. He was traveling to Jerusalem. It was noon. It was hot. And he was thirsty. What did he do? He allowed himself to have a patient conversation with the Samaritan woman, and he kindly told her about the living water that he could provide. Or think about the woman who was suffering with bleeding for years and who stretched out her hand and touched the garment of the Lord Jesus and was healed. Friends, Jesus was on his way to Jairus' daughter who was dying it, the need was immediate, and yet he turned when he felt power go out from him. He turned to find the woman and to tell her in kindness and love that it was her faith that made her well. Friends, these examples could be multiplied. But the point is, is that for us to act like Jesus, to act in the kindness of the Lord, it means that we need to be open to being interrupted. My friends, are you prepared to be interrupted? Are you willing in the midst of the busyness of the day, in the midst of the frustrations of the day, to ask what you can do here and now to extend the kindness of the Lord to someone in need?
Friends, as we do this, as we yield to the Spirit and walk in step with Him, we will give evidence of the Lord's gracious work in our lives. And we can trust, trust in the Lord, knowing that He will continue to produce this fruit within us. Friends, I'd like to close this morning by praying a prayer that the Anglican uh, theologian John Stott prayed every morning. John Stott was impressed and uh, concerned for the fruit of the Spirit to be manifest in his own life. And he prayed this prayer every morning. So I'd like us to pray. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.